2: Welcome to HIV Hope and Charity, a podcast series brought to you by TVPS, a charity that's been supporting people affected by HIV since 1985. I'm Sarah. And I'm Jess and we work for TVPS and our aim is to
1: get as many people as possible HIV educated. If you like the podcast, please rate, subscribe and leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts welcome to uh podcast recordings in covid land sarah
2: still on the floor still on the floor week four yes week four on the floor oh i quite like that (laughs) this week i'm gonna sit cross-legged and pretend i'm in a school assembly oh well good luck with that because i'm not gonna lie when we were doing
1: the last one i had my legs crossed to start with my feet started to go to sleep but i didn't want to make any noise so i just had to sit in pain
2: because out of the corner of my eye you know when something catches your eye and you're like oh my god if if that's a spider we're gonna have to end the recording and it was just your toes you were wiggling them and i was just like "Oh god, something in the corner of my eye oh it's just her feet
1: well, fingers crossed that we'll get off the floor, I'll wear some socks and some shoes maybe, and life
2: can go back to normal soon. Oh, you should have socks on. You've got sliders, haven't you? Yeah. Everybody wears socks and sliders and you, you're not. I
1: do like socks and sliders. I don't know why I didn't. Mm. i got no idea. I quite like a barefoot situation though.
2: Oh, I know you do. Yeah. I, I'm not so
1: I know. Do you like that we're not actually based here all the time because I used to just come to work and take my shoes off?
2: Yes. that would be it for the day. I had to wear my shoes at all times because I don't like to keep referring to the fact that you once left a dinner plate. Oh, no, no don't tell everyone my secret. After your lunch on the floor <laughs> and I walked over to your desk to discuss something with you and stepped in it. Oh, my God, it's a shame. <laughs> so true. I'm so, I literally think back
1: to that moment so many times when your boss comes over and puts their foot in your dinner plate. And you're just like, I'm disgusting. It's like friends. I'm Jess. I'm disgusting.
2: Indeed. I leave my lunch plate on the floor. Didn't you ever wonder why I used to wear very substantial footwear even in the summer? It's just so there were no gravy splashes up my legs.
1: (laughs) Right, I'm going to move on because I can't actually take any more shame. (laughs) Right, okay. So, this week we have another HIV... I see you still dying over there. We have another HIV hero. Now, his name is Tom Hayes.
2: Oh, yes, I like him.
1: But some people might also know him as UK Positive Lad. Yes.
2: Yes.
1: So, my sources from today, um, were well, the Positive PositiveLad.com website, the Saving Lives website, Tom's LinkedIn, and a Birmingham Live article from Kirsty Card... Did I say the Beyond Positive website? I no. don't know if I didn't. No, you didn't. And the Beyond Positive website. Again, as ever, we will put all the links to all of these things along with our podcast so you have all the sources. Um, and I know I always say it, I'm gonna say it again. We're just focused these people's lives are so much more than a, just HIV, but we're just focusing on the HIV section of it for our podcast. So, come with me to the Midlands. Is it the 80s? It is. Yes. <laughs> Oh, no. I See, <laughs> I'm trying to avoid the 80s because you're so obsessed with it. Oh, so come join me in 1985 in I the will Midlands. indeed. And that is where our hero, Tom, was born. So he grew up in the Midlands. Actually, I don't know if he was born in the Midlands. I know he grew up there, right there. So I'm just going to rectify that just in case. Apologies if you were not born there. Anyway, he grew up in the Midlands. And after school and college, he worked in the IT sector. He also went on to work for Data Analytics for NHS Cancer Services in, in Kent, um, as well as doing lots of other things. Tom's life changed direction in August 2011 when, on his second, let me say, second ever checkup at the sexual health clinic, he was diagnosed as HIV
2: positive. Oh, okay.
1: Quite an experience. So, in an interview with Kirsty Card for Vermeon Live, he said, I was on holiday in Grand Canaria at the time. The clinic called and asked me to come in. When I told them I was away for another 10 days, I could hear the woman at the other end of the phone panic. I knew something wasn't right.
2: (gasps) I thought initially I thought you were going to say they told him over the phone and he's there on holiday just going, oh, okay. It... it, it It's almost what's the lesser of two evils in that
1: situation, isn't it, where you're going to be stressed out for the rest of the time you're away, but also it's not appropriate to be disclosing over the phone. So Mm. I kind of wonder how Tom felt about that and if would he have wanted that diagnosis straight away over
2: the phone or not? Oh, it's interesting because we've had people who've found out both ways, haven't we? Those that have have. been called in and those that have been told over the phone. I just don't think there's an easy way to do it, is there?
1: Yes, it's never going to be an easy piece of news to receive. So he went on to say, I went back to the clinic the day I returned from holiday and it felt like they broke the bad news the second I sat down. I don't remember a lot after that until I found myself sat in Pigeon Park with a bag of leaflets. And that is hard, isn't it? Because mm. I think, of course, they want to disseminate as much information as possible as they can to you. You, you. You're going to be sat there with leaflets where you probably think, oh, I can't even read these. I can't get my head around them,
2: you know? No. Well, exactly. It's it's such a tricky situation, isn't it? So difficult. So, and, and, but I don't know that there's a better way. <laughs> Do you know what I
1: mean? Mm. I think in that moment when you're coming to terms with something and just... just taking that news in yourself I don't think there's anything else that no we could do in that way to give you information I think leaflets are a good thing because at least if later that day or in a week you suddenly think actually or a month or three months actually I'm going to go back and let me see what was in that information
2: definitely and we know it takes time doesn't it for the news to sink in and a lot of the people that are referred to us by the clinic um you know generally we have better outcomes with people when the clinic don't refer them immediately after diagnosis, because however you want to disseminate that information, you you have to do it and process it before you can decide what you do next. And
1: we do have an awful lot of people as well instantly going to survival mode, shock and survival mode, I'm fine, everything's fine, I'm going to make, like, everything's, I don't need support, everything's great. And then, like we say, three months, six months, a year, suddenly it's like, actually, Mm. I need to go back and look at this and maybe I do need a bit of support Mm. around it. Understandably, as we've been talking about, it took him um, a while to come to terms with his diagnosis. But one of the ways he dealt with it was by starting a blog. Ah, okay. And that's how we know him as Positive Lab. Right. So he wrote his blog, uh, his first one, a week after his diagnosis. And he used the blog to express his feelings and thoughts in an anonymous way. And for the first year, he used the pseudonym Sam. And it's a really good way to talk, to talk about things like that, giving away your identity, getting your feelings out and things, isn't it? And the way he's written it, it really flows. It's really compelling. He's a great writer. I'm sure that's not why he did it for me to say what a great writer he is. Yeah, I was completely invested in what I was reading. It was amazing. Now, you can still go and read even his initial blogs, Mm. um, and that's on the Beyond Positive website. Um, And I would say anyone that's positive, wants to learn about HIV or sort of read through someone's experience with them, go and check that out. We'll put all the links up and everything like
2: that. Oh, fabulous. See, that is a good way, isn't it? To get your feelings out um, without revealing your identity. And I think if you've read them and you feel kind of invested in what he's... Written um, and you've worked in the sector forever. Then it's the sign of a good piece of writing, isn't it?
1: Completely. And actually, I have to say, after going and reading this, I think I'd probably signpost some of our newly diagnosed yes. clients as well. Those people who don't necessarily want to, they're not ready to come into the centre. They're not ready to meet other people. Mm. This is almost that way of giving them a little bit of peer support mm. without them having to give away their anonymity either. Yeah, absolutely. So in one of his very first blog posts, he talks about the vast amount of work that needs to be done that he's realised. So he says, I spent a lot of time being brutally frank and honest with myself lately due to both my own feelings and the reactions of others around me, both welcome and unwelcome. And let me assure you that I'm under no illusion that I've no one to blame but myself for being in this predicament. I was never the most careful person when it came to sex, how times have changed. But nor was I particularly reckless. I guess I just call myself unlucky. He goes on to say one thing that had become abundantly apparent to me is the process how, in the process, is how little the general public, even high risk groups such as gay men, know about HIV. And I sadly include myself in that until recently. And I think that's still.
2: It's still the case, isn't it?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so he goes on to highlight what. It, he's really concerned about in two different ways that he's really noticed since Mm. his own diagnosis. So one, that people don't know, don't understand the risks people engage in risky sexual behaviour with perfect strangers with only their word as to their HIV status. And two, the lack of understanding about how how the virus works, how it's transferred, and what it is to live with HIV um, feeds a damaging stigma around HIV and those living with it. Oh, see, he's so right, isn't yeah. he? And I'm glad he's writing this because it's obviously a lot of things that I bet a lot of people who are diagnosed think and feel and get frustrated about because I think a lot of it's still still that way.
2: I think so too. And I think um, I think it's interesting how he kind of processes his own diagnosis. I like that he's like, look, I was just un- unlucky. He's not trying to apportion kind of blame. Yeah. Um, but he's also like well hold on a moment you know I'm an, an intelligent man and you know I've been unlucky I've contracted HIV but quite frankly the information that's out there isn't great anyway and yeah he is absolutely right yeah well he also actually mentions in the same blog post
1: that he was passed an information pack um, when he was diagnosed. Mm-hmm. And the two case studies, one was a 30-year-old married straight man and the other was a 50-year-old lesbian. No. And he, oh, really? of course, he says neither he could remotely relate to in any way.
2: But again, it's tricky, isn't it? Because when we've seen information that targets the most at-risk groups, those communities' feedback, they don't want to be targeted in that way. So it's a fine line. Yeah, But I yes, I would agree with him that those... Uh, people that have been used in in those examples are are irrelevant really completely
1: and you would you would just read it and think why on earth have I been given this
2: yeah absolutely
1: anyway so time goes on and, and in his second blog post he kind of starts to think about talk about disclosure and share some of his experiences around that again I say this blog is amazing so in his second blog post which was on the 4th of December 2011 so he says it's about disclosure, as I said. So he says, I learned the hard way when I was on holiday. I got close to someone over the course of a week. We fooled around, we swapped numbers. But when I got back to the UK and he asked me out on a date, I thought it was only
2: right to tell him my status. Paster's just turned up.
1: Oh, the post. sorry, it made me jump. I heard a big <laughs> bang. <laughs> okay, um, so he goes on to say, it did not go well. He cancelled our date for work reasons. Stopped returning my calls and messages. That hurt, it hurt a lot. So now if I'm arranging um, a meet or a date or on Grindr or Gaydar, for example. Oh, the days of Gaydar. Gaydar. I miss Gaydar. Um, before we'd even arranged a date, I'll just say, by the way, I'm HIV positive. I hope that won't be a problem. That way, if some, if it's something they can't handle, there's no love loss. We can both move straight on. Now, that's amazing. That's a really complex situation. And the way he's taken control of that,
2: mm.
1: I think... I mean, I'm not for one minute saying this is how everyone needs to go about everything. You need to just any date you have. But for Tom, this obviously worked.
2: Yes, that kind of preempting being yeah. up saying this is how it is. And yeah, he's right. Yeah. If they're like, no, I'm not interested, then they weren't worth it. Exactly. Exactly. And we've heard that definitely from other clients yeah. who have stated what I'll tell people. And
1: actually, they're not the right person for me if they don't like it. But it's also making it in... I like that, taking back that control. And it's not that fear of, oh, should I, when should I, you know. Being so open with your status, though, can come with challenges. Okay. Now, there was a big challenge for Tom. And he says, in 2011, someone forcibly disclosed my status, my HIV status online. He almost (gasps) took his own life. Um. And he actually, he's talking about this in one of the blogs and he cites the fact that it it was happening to Charlie Sheen again, where someone was blackmailing him to come out. Um, And I mean, that must have been really triggering for Tom, actually, when the Charlie Sheen thing happened, because if that's happened to you. um, But we're going to learn about. Okay, so we're going to hear more about. Yes. What happened was, not long after he was diagnosed, someone disclosed his status without his consent, On Twitter.
2: Oh, my goodness me. No way. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Oh, who is this person? Oh, I'm getting angry. We'd call
1: them a troll now, wouldn't we?
2: We really would,
1: but how dare they? I know. It's unbelievable the right
2: people think they have to do things like that. Uh, Shocking. I know. And it can only ever... I mean, no good comes from doing that. And surely that person must have known. It's malicious, isn't it? Yeah. So, Tom says... I'd
1: only known that I was HIV positive for about five months at this point. (gasps) Still very early on. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. And had only disclosed to a couple of friends. I was still dealing with things. I was having a meal out with friends one evening and my phone started buzzing. It buzzed again and again and again. I normally ignore my phone when I'm out, but something was up. Someone had posted my HIV status on Twitter for all to see. And this is where it gets worse. They were claiming I was infecting people without telling them. I felt sick. No way. I I was going to be sick. And so over the next couple of hours, Tom watched people openly debate his HIV diagnosis on social media. (sighs) He saw the comments people were making, like some just horrendous car crash TV, you know, that you can't stop. All
2: unfolding and you can't stop what's happened. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. And you are just, you're out with
1: friends, uh, I mean, how an evening can take a turn, so...
2: I am livid by this point. Do you know that?
1: <laughs> I'm sorry.
2: <coughs> I hope your has found out who this person is, because we need to speak to them.
1: Well... I, it hasn't, and I, I, I shan't be um, disclosing.
2: You're not going to be disclosing I'm who they are. I'm not starting
1: a vigilante type <laughs> revenge situation here, no. Okay. We're going to focus on Tom. Remember, we're always not going to give to the villains. Of but the I am
2: livid on Tom's behalf.
1: Yeah. So Tom goes on to say I watched in horror over the next couple of hours, not saying a word as people debated openly on Twitter how sick and twisted I was for going around infecting people. This is all, that's all of those bits are from one malicious tweet. Not a scrap of evidence to back it up. Then began the hateful emails, Facebook messages, text messages, people telling me that they couldn't be friends with me anymore, that they hoped that the AIDS kills you. My life was unravelling me. What, my right sorry, it's so emotional. I'm like, I can't get it out. He says my life is unravelling in front of me on a 3.5 inch screen. Oh, I just can't. And the fact you can't stop that. Because before we know, he's been in control. He's like, actually, we're going on a date. I'm positive. If that's great with you, brilliant. If not, this just removes all of that, doesn't it? So he says, I don't think I've ever cried as much as I did that night. I was shaking with a mixture of fear and anger the entire time. That's when I decided to end my life. I knew exactly how to do it. I jumped from the bridge in the city centre into the fast-moving dual carriageway. Certain death, quick and easy.
2: Oh, Tom, a socially distanced hug doesn't seem enough. I know, know. it's so, oh, it's really emotional. So I'm very emotionally invested in this podcast.
1: So he said, I was getting dressed, getting ready to go and do it.
2: Oh my God.
1: When my friend Ben came in and asked what was wrong, somehow through the tears and the shaking, I managed to convey what was going on and he sat me down and talked to me. He told me that I didn't need friends like that. He told me that it would get better and that I was being foolish. Ben made me go back to bed Ben saved my life that night, and for that I'll be eternally
2: grateful. Well done, Ben. I know, what an amazing... God. I'm so
1: glad Ben was there. Because ben actually, I. we might not even be doing, you know, this podcast, and that would mm. be really, really heartbreaking. Obviously, when something like that happens, and you're kind of reeling from all of it, you you do want to protect those close around yeah, you, don't you? of course. Those closest to you. So he says that after that ordeal, I spent the next day visiting family and friends and telling them about my status in person before i outed myself publicly on twitter so i could tackle the hate sent in my direction and how amazing is that can i say wow so after all of that he's been through so much and then again he goes no i'm, I'm gonna take back this control i'm going to publicly i'm gonna go first obviously and speak to my friends and family mm-hmm. then i'm going to publicly put this on social media and i will deal with this i'm not gonna let it be something that's out of my hands being talked about
2: without me i really like him yeah, he's. He I really mean, like the way amazing. he handles situations. Yeah, um, and I feel he'd be a good person to talk to if you ever had an issue in your own life. I'm building up to him, perhaps helping me through my therapy and focus on the 80s. Oh,
1: I see. I see. I don't know if people know that Sarah keeps concentrating on do, on doing HIV heroes from the 80s, and and some of them we've well, I mean, a lot of them we've learned some awful, awful things that happened in the 80s. So as it's her favourite decade, she's slightly traumatised by it,
2: it. It would work. He was born in the 80s. He can help me through this. <laughs> His approach to life is what I need to adopt. Yeah, I,
1: on, and I know we say it every week. The things all of these different people go through and the adversity they face and then they come out fighting
2: is mm. amazing. It is. They're such strong people. Yeah. Um, and they're kind of great role models, at the end of the day, aren't they? Yeah,
1: completely. So he revealed his identity on his blog and he started to talk openly about his status. And that's amazing in itself.
2: Yeah, it is. He's taken
1: that decision. Um, and I think he felt, while he had no control over the di- how it became public over his HIV diagnosis, like we've said, he could at least control the subsequent narrative He could educate people. He could challenge the inevitable stigma that comes through a lack of education. And in doing so, he could pave the way for others to be more open about
2: their HIV status too. Okay, so he's taken what in effect is a horrific situation and turned it around to do good. Yeah. Wow.
1: I feel like every week I learn about these people. And I know we've said it, and we walk out of here and go, we need to do more. (laughs) Yeah.
2: (laughs) there's no way we can ever live up to these people because they're phenomenal and that's why i say every week as well this is just a small part of their life yeah absolutely what else are they doing how
1: is is their time or emotional energy or strength like oh no
2: i feel as we share their stories and they are amazing i feel each week our (laughs) self-esteem drops a tiny bit
1: my dad's (laughs) like wow (laughs) Tom went on to found Beyond Positive, which is a digital magazine for those living with HIV, those affected by HIV, and those that work in the sector. Yes. Yeah, so he's the editor, he's also one of the writers, and it's a a fantastic resource for those affected by HIV. Again, we'll put the links up, as you all know, and I will say we'll also put all of Tom's um, social media handles up, so you Mm. can go follow him if you'd like to. But that's not all he's done. I think by now we're getting a real feel for his energy and determination, like we were just saying. He
2: is very determined, and I love his energy.
1: Because this is somebody who is determined to see change. Okay. And just is not going to rest until he sees it happen, right? So he joined the board of Saving Lives, um, and he's a trustee and social media manu- manager for Saving Lives. Um, and Saving Lives, I know we've talked about them before, a lot yeah. of the people who actually we featured have been involved in Saving Lives... It's a national charity that aims to reduce the stigma that still surrounds testing for blood-borne viruses (BBVs), mm-hmm. um, also known as HIV and hepatitis. So they are a fantastic organisation. They really are, and yeah. they
2: have got some amazing people linked into them, haven't they? Yeah,
1: some great ambassadors. At, yeah, absolutely brilliant. So, alongside his role uh, as a trustee at Saving Lives, Tom also holds the following roles.
2: Oh my goodness. i hey, you ready. It's
1: like another deep breath. Prepare like, my oh. self-esteem. <laughs> so he's advisor to the European Commission, advisor to UNAIDS, community representative to Beaver external relations group. Uh, he's a platform member of the Impact Group. And over the last two years, Tom has also been volunteering as a community treatment advisor at an HIV clinic, offering peer-led advice on starting ART Switching and adherence to patients.
2: He's amazing, isn't he? Isn't he? he is. I
1: was just like, oh. neck. I mean, and again, he's done so much more than that. That's a really small snippet yeah. of the things that he's doing. Uh, more recently, he's one of the hosts of an, a fantastic
2: new podcast. I, I know which one you're going to say. Yes, yes.
1: positively thriving. Yes, so that's supported by Vive Healthcare, and it helps to redefine what living with HIV means aims to inspire others to live a long, healthy, happy life yeah. with HIV. And it's a, please go and have a listen it to that It is really well. good. A really, really good one. So to summarise, Tom is a campaigner. He's an advocate. He's a voice for people living with HIV, a public speaker, a writer. He's constantly working to find new ways to raise awareness, educate, edu- to educate and engage with people. He passionately believes that stigma should be addressed. And so, He addresses it. And I love that. He's using the same no-nonsense approach for that that he used when his status was revealed. He is an absolute force to be reckoned with. A huge asset to our HIV community. And let's hope one day in COVID-free times we can thank him personally, maybe,
2: for everything he does. to
1: meet him. That would be nice, wouldn't it? It um... really
2: would. Because I think, yeah, you've summed it up brilliantly. He is a force to be reckoned with. Um, I mean, his energy and determination is a great example to anyone else who works in our sector yeah he's a total
1: HIV hero and thank you for everything you do Tom
2: absolutely
1: thank you for listening to HIV Hope and Charity if you'd like to know more about the work that we do visit tvps.org.uk and please like subscribe and rate the podcast if you enjoyed it